0: Genesis twenty five twenty three, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. walking through the book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Bryant Bales. And today we want to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapter 25 with you today. Walking through the book is all about these three things, encouraging Bible reading, demonstrating proper and responsible study of the Bible, and emphasizing what the text says, no more and no less. We want to make sure that what we're sharing with you is good and useful for you and your development in the Lord and growing in His grace and in the knowledge of Him. And We want to be useful in that. So thank you so much for listening today. Uh, we have been sort of absent over the past couple of weeks, and our apologies for that, but uh, it gets to a busy time of the year around December and January, so uh I know Bryant has been on the road a little bit, and uh, I've just kind of been keeping the home fires burning, you might say. Just uh,
1: Wow, Steven, it is really snowing here. Sorry. It's like, it's really, really snowing. Like, even in Minnesota, this would be heavy snow.
0: Going down pretty hard, huh? Yeah. No snow for us, just a lot of cold. So mm. much cold. But uh, be that as it may. Uh, before we start, we do want to let you know how to get in touch with us on Facebook. You can find us at Walking Through the Book, or you can email us at uh, Walking Through the Book at ProtonMail.com, or find us at our the website that is normally hosting this podcast of the North Columbus Church of Christ, which is NorthColumbusChristians.com. Uh, also, you can find Bryant's info at GardenCityCoc.org, uh, but we encourage you to, to visit Uh, In Columbus, Mississippi, if you're ever in town, North Columbus Church of Christ, NorthColumbusChristians.com. Brian, why don't you go over a little bit of the flow of the program and uh, uh, let everybody know where you preach and where they can visit you. Yeah, so uh, I'm working as
1: an evangelist at the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia. Uh, if you're ever in the area on vacation, um, check us out. We're uh, about 10 minutes east, or I'm sorry, not east, but west of the Savannah uh, downtown area. And we have a Facebook page if you want to look us up on Facebook as well. And I think uh, Stephen mentioned City, uh, coc.org is the domain name for the website. And what we're, what we're doing is uh, just really, really simple, but very powerful. I know Stephen and I have talked with each other about um just how much we uh, personally are getting out of this study. Um, Genesis really just continues to come alive, and we just get more and more out of it the farther into this podcast that we go. And so uh, we hope that you're getting um, as much and even more out of listening to this discussion that we're having. Um, so we're just reading through Genesis chapter by chapter and picking out some initial observations that we gain from just kind of reading over the text. Uh, and after that, we look at some themes that we might um, that we might have noticed uh, in Genesis that kind of relate to maybe the broader picture of the book itself, but um, even overall with things that connect to the broader picture of the Bible in general. And we always try to conclude with some uh, some brief applications uh, that we can draw out of the text as well because um, with everything in God's Word, there there is always a way to make it make it more personal. And and that's that's really the way that we ought to look at it is not just trying to look at some general things, but how do we look into God's word in a way that gives us an understanding of how we can we can change how we can view uh, how we can view God and, and view ourselves in a much more personal way. And so um, that's that's the outline for what we'll be doing uh, today and uh, how we'll be just kind of generally handling this
0: podcast. And of course, uh, we, we follow our typical format and, uh, that's the reading and then our initial observations, then the theme, then the application. Um, I really feel like the segmented format really helps, um, to me. I mean, I, I think an important thing if you're going to do podcasting is to, from time to time, try to listen to your own podcast as, uh, disruptive as that might be or, or, uh, because I, I don't really, necessarily like listening to my own voice sometimes. Um, but cause I'm just like, oh, you know, <laughs> do I really sound like that? But, uh, but then, you know, it's important to kind of make sure that, uh, you know, that what you're saying is, is, is of course, right. That's the most important thing, but the effective communication, you want to make sure about that. So I do think things are going well. Um, again, uh, thankful for you listening and uh, we're gonna be looking at Genesis 25. There's a lot of important questions for us to consider out of this, and uh, Bryant will be reading through that out of the New King James version, Bryant.
1: Yep, I'll be reading out of the New King James.
0: Very good. We'll start into that reading.
1: Genesis chapter 25, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Latushim, and Leumin. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Eldea. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried, and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass, after the death of Abraham, that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac dwelt at Baer, Lehigh Roy. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajaf, then Kedar, Abdiel, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Massa, Hedar, Tima, Jetur, Nefish, and Kedemah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names, by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, one hundred and thirty-seven years, and he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah, as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright.
0: So, going into initial observations for this particular chapter, um, I know, Brent, we've talked a good bit uh, before recording about a few of the things going on in this chapter, and of course we pair a lot of chapters, but we really wanted to look and kind of pick apart some of the elements in this particular chapter. And uh, one of the things that I kind of noticed as we were looking at it, it just sort of hit me that... Here's Abraham and what are we, as we study through the Old Testament, what becomes actually pretty common, uh, really starting, I think with Jacob is this idea that we see of polygamy, um, where a man obviously has multiple mm-hmm. wives, at least, at least two wives. Um, and, but, but I noticed, I guess I'd never thought about this before. The fact that Abraham is taking another wife, but this is after Sarah has already died. Uh so I just right. find that kind of interesting that here's Abraham and he's not entering into that that concept and similarly his son Isaac uh is only gonna be with uh with Rebecca.
1: Yeah, that is interesting because uh you know a concubine is not the same thing as a wife and Jacob, um Leah and Rachel were both, you know, legitimate wives to uh to Jacob so it is interesting, and yeah, I'd never really taken note of that either. That uh, uh, that Abraham took Keturah after uh, Sarah had died, um, and it's really, really interesting. It just kind of a detail that yeah, I haven't noted that either.
0: Well, just for the sake of our listeners too, I mean, we we want to kind of line in a little bit of what, uh, for example, Romans seven talks about the fact that if a if a woman's husband dies. Uh, It's the idea that that bond is released or that bond is broken and she is free to remarry at that point is the idea is that she's not, that's not her husband anymore. That, that bond, that, that relationship is no more once death has happened. And that's why people say in marriage till death do us part. And so, uh, generally I think we have, uh, you know, a sense where Abraham, obviously we know that the whole point of these things uh is just what jesus says to um to the jews in you know places like matthew 5 and matthew 19 especially matthew 19 where he's saying you know moses let you divorce your wives for any reason but from the beginning god made them male and female and the idea that marriage was supposed to be something that is together in that sense so uh Yeah. Uh, I don't want to stretch that too much, but that is just something that I noticed. Um, Brent, what are some things that popped out at you? Well, one thing that, uh, is
1: interesting even about that, uh, circumstance, um, that stuck out to me is verse six. Uh, just Abraham specifically sending out his other sons that he had, uh, to the East. Um, I'll probably say more on that in the theme section, but it's interesting that he has all these different sons um, in verse two through three, and we already know um, we already know that Isaac was miraculous because Abraham was too old to have a son, uh, and so he's even older at this point. And so it is it is interesting that uh, Abraham. It seems like this is like we talked about after the death of Sarah, you know. So Abraham would have been incredibly old at this point. And yet he's still able to have uh, all these different children. And I, just, I wonder if that's, you know, uh, if it's not too much of a stretch to say that uh, God gave Abraham the ability to have more children, um, seeing as old as he was. Uh, what do you think about that, Stephen?
0: I think it's a very, very much a possibility. Um, you know, all all throughout the scriptures, you've got this idea, and I think it's in the Proverbs, um I may be getting the passage wrong but the the idea that children are like arrows within your quiver mm. um that they're an honor to you uh so the idea of many children is great honor to uh to to a man and this this is I think just again uh, this is in some ways part of what God has been telling Abraham you're going to be a father of many nations the idea that that you know you're going to be you know, from you, all these different places are going to come. And, and that's and that's pretty clear because among these sons is this uh, this uh, person named Midian. And Midian goes off and there's the land of Midian by the time we get to, to Moses. So, um, so some familiar names there. So I don't think it's a stretch to say that God is just uh, continuing to bless Abraham in these ways. Mm. You know what? Another thing that we that I think you could just kind of take out of this, too, the fact that Isaac, what does he do when he finds that Rebecca is barren? He pleads Mm. with the Lord uh, for her. And uh, I think that's just something for us to think about, too, Um, and just something that kind of I didn't really particularly look at. I don't think Isaac and Rebecca are the first people we think of when we think of couples in the bible that that were barren and couldn't have children um mm-hmm. you know uh, i think oftentimes we may think of uh uh hannah um in first samuel we might think of uh might think of john the baptist parents um in the book of luke but uh just uh something that really jumped out at me there i don't think
1: there's an account, and maybe I'm just not remembering, but Stephen, do you, do you remember if there's any accounts of Abraham actually praying uh, for God to grant him and Sarah a child, or if that was just God himself made that
0: promise? I don't recall any kind of... The only thing I really recall is, you know, oh, that Ishmael would live before you. The right. idea that, yeah. that, you know, why can't you make Ishmael the son of promise? Um, That's the only thing approaching that I can think of.
1: Yeah, because when in chapter 16, when Sarai, uh, obviously later as Sarah, uh, when she realized that the Lord was restraining her from bearing children, um, her solution was to give Hagar to Abraham and not to pray to God um, for a child on the basis of his promise and for her to be that person. So, and the reason the reason I point that out is I just think it's interesting that um, Isaac had the faith to pray to God for that uh, when it doesn't seem like there is a distinct event we see at least written down where Abraham did that same kind of thing exactly. So I think that's, that's just maybe it's like an inference that because of Isaac's faith, he understands that it's the will of God and Hmm. that it's of God and from God, since he himself, he is the child of God's promise, right? So he understands that life ultimately comes from the Lord. So I I think that is really interesting to see that he had the faith to initiate that.
0: Yeah, and again, I I really do think that Isaac is one of the patriarchs that we just sort of gloss over,
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: there's just not a whole lot to his story, except that he was the son of promise. He was almost offered, um, you know, and, and so that's about all that we talk about in terms of Isaac, but he did in, indeed have, uh, have a great measure of faith, I believe. And, uh,
1: I think it's interesting that when the children struggled, that Rebecca as well, um, went to inquire of the Lord about that, you know, cause you have to think that she could have just been, I guess, confused or, um, uh, just asked, uh, Isaac about it or, um, just maybe considered it like a medical difficulty or something. So I, I think it's really interesting that it's not just that Isaac had the faith to inqu- to plead, uh, and pray for a child, but that when there was a struggle that she inquired of the Lord specifically. So I think it's almost like you see a, um, you see, uh, a, a great faith in Isaac, but also Rebecca in these ways that are really easy to just gloss over.
0: She doesn't just uh she doesn't leave it up for Isaac to do everything for her. And that's that's right. you know, spiritually. And that's an interesting balance there too. Um maybe we'll we'll go into that a little bit more in terms of uh application, but um you know, like um like Hannah in first Samuel, I mean she took it upon right. herself yeah. to seek out the Lord right. on this. Even though her husband, Pen- uh, um Elkanah, He was kind of saying, listen, aren't I enough for you? (laughs) And uh, whereas here, she's taking upon herself to take this time to to seek out the Lord. So that's a really good example for us. And you see how important
1: that was, too, because in Romans 9, 12, Paul, when writing to the Romans, actually quotes what God said to uh, Rebecca here and i think it's it's also interesting that in verse 23 it says and the lord said to her so god actually replied directly to rebecca for inquiring of him you know and what he said if it's quoted in romans 9 in that way it's obviously of uh of outstanding significance you know that she would inquire and that god had the ability to give her this reply
0: right you know and the lord there's uh, there's no evidence in the text that he said this directly to isaac so that kind of links up with the idea right. that um well uh, again this this pro- this is a theme thing <laughs> but uh, the idea that the lord will reveal important messages to women sometimes. Um right. You yeah, know so kind of unexpected uh we might say in, in, based on the context of the scriptures and what we see there. Mm. And mm. we we do see some seeds being laid here in terms of Isaac and Rebecca's favoritism. And that is a huge problem that is right. going to really be passed down and, and really manifested in the misbehavior of their children. Um, and uh, in, in terms of Jacob's children is what I mean. Right. And I think it's, it's interesting because Rebecca loving Jacob,
1: you know, cause again, you go back to verse 23 and God tells her um i I don't know if she's told uh isaac i mean i'm assuming she would but she's told explicitly that the older will serve the younger right and that's that's jacob you know so i think it's not too much of a stretch to relate rebecca's love for jacob to be related to that promise that she was given that it would be the younger who would be the exalted one you know, and I think that also relates uh, far later when um, Jacob and Esau are getting their blessing from Isaac when he's old. And uh, Rebecca is very clever in trying to make sure that Jacob gets that blessing. You know, I think really you can relate all of that back to what God said to Rebecca in verse 23 and just her holding on to that promise and trying to do everything that she could do to to play her part in that promise when at, it looked like at times that it wasn't going to go the way that God said.
0: Uh, I want to talk about the names of Esau and Jacob, but I think it might be better for us to hold off on that for the next section. Mm. But uh, because it, it, you know, that whole event at the end of this really ties in with so much down the road. But um, mm. you know, I. I do kind of scratch my head sometimes at this moment, you know, what in the world was Esau thinking, but then, (laughs) you know, I think back, like how many dumb things have I done? Um, you know, even after becoming a Christian, um, right. So maybe we'll get into that a little bit in terms of application as well.
1: In, Genesis 25, 12 through 18. Um, it's just kind of interesting the place of these genealogies of Ishmael um, because that verse um, in Genesis 17 verse 20, where God promises to give Ishmael uh, 12 princes as descendants and to make, him of, make of him a great nation. Uh, it's interesting that God notes the fulfillment of that promise uh, in this section. And it's like all of the all of the people who are close to Abraham you can see God fulfilling his blessing toward them while still separating them out from Abraham um progressively as Genesis goes on which I think is interesting
0: yeah we we get less and less about them down the road right mm-hmm. um and and you know w- which again this doesn't mean that the lord is not the Lord's fulfilling his promise. There's no doubt about that. Um, But again, if, if we expected God to write the Bible in such a way where he preserves every shred of knowledge about anybody that could ever possibly be known, I mean, it would be impractical. It would be an impractical book for us to actually study and read. You know, you you wouldn't be able to look at, at the whole of the text uh in the in the span of your lifetime and so uh we we focus on what we would really say see as the core uh important figures in the story that's unfolding but uh but it is great that the lord preserves these names and make sure that we see that he does follow through on this I think there's gonna be a lot to discuss in terms of the theme section because these are some pretty big things that are being brought about here right uh, some big changes and uh so as we look at this, you know when we look at the theme section we're we're looking at the greater picture of the scriptures. we want to look not just in genesis twenty five we want to bring in all the books of the Bible. All of the knowledge that we have, at least of the book, and uh, so that we can maybe assemble a big picture of what's going on and make some connections. Because we need to make those connections. Uh, if we don't make the connections between what's going on here and down the line, and in, in terms of the whole scriptures, it loses a lot of its significance. And uh, there, there could be a lot of things, a lot of important things that we're missing. Um, just the fact that God, you know, we, the last thing we mentioned in the last uh, last uh, section was the fact that here God He's even keeping His promises in terms of this uh, this person that really doesn't have much of anything to do with the promises that are to be fulfilled. Um, you know this this person Is, person Ishmael and his family. I mean, there's really nothing moving forward that they're going to do in the span of the greater story of the of the scriptures. But yet here is here God is making it clear to us, no, I, I deliver on my promises. You know, I don't tell somebody I'm going to do something and then not do it. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, just generally that's some some good things for us to think about. One of the things that uh, we might kind of get the ball rolling with in terms of the theme section, uh, maybe we could kind of go backwards, Brian, because uh, obviously what happens at the end of this chapter um changes everything mm-hmm. um, right in a movie or a tv show where you go back in time and you know a character does you know decides to do something different than they did before Or maybe you think of the movie it's a wonderful life where just one person being out of the picture supposedly changes these things drastically well um if there was such a thing as quantum theory where you have all these different universes and there are all these alternate possibilities, then uh there there uh could conceivably be a universe out there where Esau had not sold his birthright. Of course, I don't really believe that to be true <laughs> I think that uh I think we've got the reality that we have right here and now, and so but you think about all the good things that Esau could have been a part of, and the Hebrew author really deals with this very well and uh and we want to kind of think about this but also i want to bring it back up during application i'm just going to generally talk about in hebrews 12 um there's a discussion there and we're going to read some of those verses in the next section but he's warning christians there you know lest there be any fornicator or profane person like esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright um, and and it, and it connects the idea of Esau and bitterness because he talks about the root of bitterness springing up inside us, and so we want to discuss that some in the in the final section today but but that does tell us that there was some bitterness involved in what Esau did and how esau you know how all this was really brought about here 's Esau he could have been the one to continue this great line and what what 's so great about this line well it 's the messianic line. It's the line that's going to bring about the uh the Messiah itself. Mm. The Messianic covenant and the importance mm. of that. Esau could have had that. He could have been in Jacob's shoes in this. But because of this, because of the whatever happens in the la- in in the later chapters, right? And there's some you know, someone could make a case that, well, you know, Esau's tricked out of it. Well, maybe. But if we understand what the scripture is saying, he made this choice before right. any of that ever happened.
1: No. Yeah. I think that's such a great point because, um, something I, I guess I haven't taken much thought of. And I really just, you sang those things, um, kind of got gears turning on this. Um, it seems like Isaac really respected that he was the child of God's promise. Um, And just kind of, you get some inferences, kind of like 21, where he pleaded and prayed to the Lord for a child. I mean, you know, and then when in chapter 24, uh, something we talked about in the last episode, Isaac went out to meditate in the field, you know, in the evening, I just think that's, that's a really interesting, um, indication that it seems like he really took his faith in the Lord very seriously, uh, so there's there's just no way that Esau was unaware that he was connected to these promises that God had progressively been making with Abraham and his father. You know, I, I just imagine that Isaac was very diligent, especially with Rebecca as well, that they both would have been really diligent to teach their children about what God was doing and the promises he was making. And so you just imagine for Esau to, at any offer of anything, to give up that birthright. Wow. You know, and for Stu? And I, I think it's almost like an understatement. Then in verse thirty-four, he despised his birthright. I mean, he he really just
0: was unconcerned and didn't care. It seems. So let me just th- think about this out loud for a minute, and maybe I won't get myself into trouble. Uh, but you think about you know how did Esau uh, how did Isaac grow up knowing about mm. Ishmael? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Abraham is told by God this is the son of promise he's the one that's going to be you know he's going to be through him d is it possible that isaac growing up being reminded that no ishmael is not the son of promise you're the son of promise do you think that might have led him to have more of an appreciation for esau mm-hmm. being the one that indeed is going to be the inheritor the the you know and maybe he doesn't quite have the appreciation for jacob as he ought to have mm-hmm. um you know i i i don't know really uh you know when you get into this moralizing in terms of old testament characters you do have to be careful but uh you know that is something to think of in terms of you know how would these people have really been thinking about this on a normal basis um and so that that to me that may be a possible explanation as to why isaac is so devoted to, to Esau. But we'll see some other things later on, because uh, in the chapters to come, we're going to see that Isaac liked the meat that Esau cooked uh, when he came in from the fields. So there's that aspect as well, I guess. Yeah, and uh,
1: back a little bit earlier, so in the um, opening comments, I mentioned uh, verse 6, going back to that for just a second, um, that Abraham... Pushed Isaac, or not Isaac, but pushed his other sons, the brothers of Isaac, uh, to the east. Um, I don't know if uh, if you're listening to this, if you've noticed in your reading of the Bible, but the idea of sending someone or something out to the east is is a very consistent theme in the Bible. Um, for instance, the entrance of the tabernacle and the temple, uh, faced east. And so you had to come in through the, through the east, you know, obviously you'd be facing west, but then you would exit going out towards the east, which would have been facing, uh, the sunrise. Um, or was that the sunset? Do I got that right? I always mix the sunrise and the sunset up with, with directions.
0: Um, but anyway, no, no, uh, sunrise rises in the east.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's right. So Genesis chapter three, uh, Genesis chapter three twenty four. 24, after uh, God drives Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he places the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, which is interesting. It seems like that would have been the entrance to the Garden of Eden to the east, which is a lot like the tabernacle uh, and temple.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then chapter 11, verse 2, you've got the Tower of Babel. And chapter 11, verse 2, uh, what do you know? Which direction were the people uh, journeying? It says, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east. So that's kind of interesting. And then uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 11. And where did Lot go to get to the place of wickedness? Lot journeyed east, and they separated from one another. Uh you know in Babylon right. in relationship to Jerusalem mm. was out east and Zechariah also has a vision uh of some women with stork wings uh kind of strange who have a woman in a basket with a lead cover taking that wickedness as what it's called to the east so you just have all these different uh, references to the east and I'm not really sure what to make of all that I just think it's an interesting theme that clearly there's there's purpose in the consistency um, and I just think I just think that's that's
0: that's it's interesting could just be a simple geographical thing though maybe I mean maybe people aren't going to go to the west <laughs> uh because that's the sea uh oh, that's funny so you know if they're going to the west, they're going to go down to Egypt, right. or they're going to go up north. Um, but you know, maybe that's too simple. But uh, I don't know. Uh, th- there's a there's a lot of significance people make of the east, right? Um, uh, and there's a lot that I could say about that that I'm not really going to go into uh, in this program at this time um, because that gets into some of the research that I've done in terms of secret societies and stuff like that. And, and I don't really look at that stuff as entirely super important, but you know, you bring up the thought that there were wicked things in the East. You know, the East is not this great thing per se. Um, but yeah, uh, th- there may be some significance there. Um, you know, whether geog- geographically or something else, um, he, he sends them out, that particular uh, direction. And I I do think that is another separation that we see there that is, uh, really it's, I don't think it was out of hostility. I don't get the impression with that from the text. I think it's just something where, uh, this is, you know, this is where y'all are going to go basically. Yeah. And while he was still living, he sent them out that way.
1: Yeah. It seems like it's, uh, You know, it's Abraham's understanding of the exclusive nature of God's promise. You know, I think think we had talked about this before recording, you know, that uh, Abraham at other points wasn't the one initiating um, separation, for instance, with Ishmael and Hagar. Mm -hmm. uh, That was more Sarai and then God then confirming to Abraham that he could do what Sarai or what Sarah had um, had said for him to do. Uh, So it's interesting that Abraham is the one initiating this, you know, and it it was obviously multiple children that he had to do this with, you know, so I just I kind of uh, see some adamacy in this.
0: It's a it's a similar moment to Abram and Lot uh, separating, because I, I do think the subtext is that there could be problems among these family members down the road. If they don't just separate now, and I think again, it speaks back to I think um, a few a couple of months ago, a few few months ago, we did a, a, the episode at Profitable for Teaching at Rustic Youth Camp where we talked about that subject that sometimes it's actually needed for us to see the problems that may be on the horizon and just go ahead and cut that off and go ahead and say, okay, let's let's you know you go do your thing and I'll go do my thing before it becomes a major problem so and maybe maybe i'm making too much out of this but the the, i I do think there is a wisdom to this i mean what's going to happen abraham's gone and then you have all these people in the same place well you know these other groups could just as well claim well we have just as much claim to this land uh as you do isaac because you know abraham was our father too but uh but abraham saw well enough to know that this this is what needed to be done at the time uh I really love the phrasing uh concerning Abraham's death. I really love that statement in verse eight. Uh that he died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was was gathered to his people. What does that mean, gathered to his people? Um I think the idea of good old age implies the Uh idea of his faithfulness to the lord and the fact that the lord has blessed him for so Uh long and that the lord had had been with him for so long an old man and full of years i'll tell you that's the way that i want to (laughs) die i don't Uh i don't want to die uh you know i don't want to die too soon right nobody wants to die too soon um i think just about everybody wants to die in a good old age having lived your life with purpose and uh, of course if you're a christian you you want to have this idea that that uh, that i'm living my life faithfully in the way that abraham lived his life but hmm. uh what what do you think about that term gathered uh, that phrase gathered to his people what might that be talking about
1: no that is interesting um isn't that phrase used in some other places in reference to uh to kings? Do you remember any of those references?
0: Yeah. Just about every ruler, um especially I think the rulers in Judah that were mm-hmm. said to be very close to David in terms of the way mm-hmm. that they ruled and mm-hmm. their faithfulness to God, mm-hmm. you know, gathered uh, gathered to his fathers. And so I think there is the idea of you're you're going to be buried with others. But but really, when you look at where he's buried, he's buried with Sarah. And there's no textual evidence that there's other people in his family that are in that place at Mamre, mm, and, unless yeah. I'm mistaken. Right. So, gathered to his people in this context, my, this is just my, my two cents. Maybe I'm flat out wrong. I get the sense that gathered to his people links up to what we see in hebrews 11 because what do we see there abraham looked for a city Mm -hmm. that has foundations that's not made with hands whose builder and maker is god uh looking for that country looking for that land you know he wasn't looking necessarily for for canaan Mm -hmm. per se he knew there was something greater down the line so, what if gathered to his right. people refers to the thought that uh here's here's a saint of God we would say uh in in Christian understanding saints are those who have been saved by God um the term saint is not talking about somebody who's super important or has done x y z things um a saint is every Christian every Christian is a saint um But included with that, I think, are uh, Jews who died faithfully under the old law or under what we have here, the time of the patriarchs. So uh, maybe maybe I'm making too much out of that again, but the idea of being gathered to his people, who are his people? I think his people are, are the faithful of God. I think his people are the saints of God even up to that time who had, who had been living, you know? So, um, I, I imagine him being gathered together with Noah and gathered together with Adam and, and, and people such as that. What are your thoughts about that?
1: Uh, well, I think, um, that makes a lot of sense. No, cause I guess I hadn't really connected, gathered to his people to the fact that Sarah was the only other person buried there. Um, You know, and and that makes sense as well, because like you were saying, you know, Hebrews makes it evident that Abraham's concern wasn't accumulating uh, some big group of, you know, people after his own name or anything like that. Uh, You know, Abraham's concern was being with the Lord, you know, so what kind of people was Abraham really looking to be gathered with then? And I think that's kind of exactly what you're what you're pointing to you know and there have been obviously um those who have been faithful to the lord before abraham as well um but yeah i do think you know what you pointed out especially about sarah being the only other person buried in that location um really seems to point to a, a
0: greater meaning to that so the further genealogy of isaac and of course we want to talk about uh what's being said to uh rebecca and kind of mine some of that out too two nations are in your womb, well, down the road, we're going to see, obviously, Jacob. Right. The nation following Jacob. Uh, Jacob is going to be named Israel. And that, indeed, is the foundation of the nation, you would say. Uh, That nation is not really even going to become a nation, though, I would argue, until they go through the Red Sea after the Exodus. Or during the Exodus, I guess you would say. Um, And then... Esau's nation is going to be the nation of the Edomites and uh we we have the explanation about therefore his name was called Edom. Uh so that that thought of uh I guess you would say sort of a redness or a, uh you know Esau's name itself means hairy and so uh what's interesting about the Edomites is that up until I would say, I I haven't really looked this up recently, but until fairly recently, within the last like 80 years, I think most scholars thought that the Edomites were another made-up, quote-unquote, made-up biblical nation, like the Hittites. And that's really funny, because you can, you know, a hundred years ago, people would say, you know, well, yeah, the Hittites were never really a people, there's no evidence of them, um but now you can actually go to college and major in Hittite studies. Uh um similar thing with the Edomites. They found the stone city of the Edomites. It's a city that's been, that was carved literally within the rock uh out where they out where they lived. And uh you you even have um you have references to this, uh I believe it's in Obadiah, uh that you know you Edom, who live within the mountain, you think you're strong, but the Lord's going to take care of you, that sort of language, uh, that God was going to bring judgment upon Edom, ultimately. And that's really what what happens. Um, So you think about the two people separated from the body of Rebekah. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Well, I think ultimately what we find is that You know, when was that ever really a thing? Well, it never really was a thing in um, Esau and Jacob's lifetime, was it? Uh, I don't think you ever see a point where Esau serves Jacob personally. Mm. But I do think you see it within the scope of uh, the nations um, themselves you have times down the road where edom is going to be subject to israel um and certainly the idea that that god is going to bring judgment upon edom that is within itself a subjection uh under the purposes of the god of israel the god of jacob the god of the house of jacob and i think again that 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 i think that's why so often you see that phrase being brought up within the scope of the Old Testament especially like in Isaiah the God of the House of Jacob that that title is brought up because that means something that's very important and it, and it relates to the promise being being made here yeah i mean that
1: it's just so interesting because god is aware of the greater aspects of what he's going to do uh, leading up to Jesus and even beyond Jesus with the church. Um, There is uh, a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, that's really interesting. It talks about the mystery, um, the mystery that's been... Uh, hidden in other ages it was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets or and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ the gospel um, you know and who would think that's that's the mystery that God hid within his own mind um, from the before the foundations of the world and that's just to make the point that God God knew what he would do and how he would do it. And it's incredible how such profound aspects of that work, things that are so awesome and big in their concept and execution, God knew these principles so well that he could convey them with such astonishing simplicity. With two kids being born, and how they were born and how they turned into nations and how those nations interacted with each other. It just, it really amazes me that Moses could write this down by inspiration and that this seed in verse 23, this one verse, um, could, could turn into this incredibly important uh truth of principle that Paul pulls from in Romans chapter 9 when he's talking about who are God's true chosen people. Is it Israel or is it is it saints, like you said earlier, Christians. And he pulls from that verse in Genesis 2523 to make the point that God made it evident even at the birth of of Jacob and Esau that it's not dependent on a person earning God's favor or election. It depends on just who God chooses to elect himself and us becoming those elect people. Um, And that's not to say that Jacob was destined to go to heaven and be saved. God was just trying to demonstrate the principle that when he makes a choice, he will be faithful to fulfill the execution of what is involved in that choice. Um, So anyway, it just, It's incredible that such a huge concept, such an important concept, something involved in God's eternal working is conveyed in these children being born. And in just one verse, God summarizes these points together.
0: Right. And to sort of dovetail off of that, too, um, what we have to recognize is that God indeed is utterly in control of the course of nations. Right. Right and when god talks on that level there's typically no escaping that outcome unless that nation as a whole you know if, it, if it's a bad outcome if that nation as a whole repents and does the right thing god relents from that destruction uh... in such as in the case with uh, nineveh and the assyrians uh jonah goes and and preaches to them and they turn they do the right thing for a little while but of course down the road we see in the in the books of the minor prophets uh that that assyria itself which you know nineveh was its capital assyria was going to come to nothing and uh so god can indeed set up these destinies among nations but but we have to make sure that we see that that's what he's talking about here and you make that point very well that that you know just because he says this about uh Esau and Jacob, he's talking about the nations, and you even see in the text, that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about necessarily Esau and Jacob themselves, right, and as you say, he's using them to say something greater than what's occurring uh right there in the in their lives, right. And again, it was it was Esau's choice that brought that about. It wasn't God manipulating things or God uh, saying, "Okay, you know, Esau's not going to be it." Uh, I think up until this point, he probably saw something concerning that. But we've ar- already seen, in terms of, for example, when Abraham uh, was going to uh, offer Isaac up for sacrifice, God stopped it, and God took that opportunity to tell him, "Now I know." that you love me seeing as you haven't withheld your only son from me um i think once esau made that decision to sell his birthright that was when god absolutely knew uh that that esau was not indeed going to be the son of promise there Mm. how how about how about jacob's name um supplanter Mm. i've heard the term trickster being used in in context of jacob's name uh what a, what a what a crazy name to be born with <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean what if what if what if your parents had just said okay i'm I'm going to name him deceiver yeah or like joker I'm or something name him yeah joker uh and, and and we know from the text that it's because of what's you know what goes on of course we always want to keep in mind that the names back then really meant something a lot more than what we typically think of today. But um but we're going to see Jacob uh for the first part of his life he's really going to live out that name for a little while and uh but you know I think there's going to be a change that comes down the line that really helps him understand really who God is in mm-hmm. a way that you know, he, he 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 does not seem to have the same kind of relationship with God that Isaac had or that uh, his grandfather Abraham had uh, until down the line. I think things really come together for him, right. even to the point where I really love the moment later on in Genesis where Jacob is talking to Pharaoh and he's he's describing his life. And uh, I don't recall that particular passage it was when they went to egypt obviously um i think it might be 46 but let's see where he's basically saying few and and harsh have been my days that sort of thing 47 9 through 10 very good yeah Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. And so Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. Um, I, I I love that description that Jacob has of his life because, Initially, we're not going to see that Jacob. We're going to see a Jacob mm-hmm. that I think um, seems really burdened by his name and by his situation, and feels like he has to uh, live up to that, basically, or mm-hmm. or trick his way around. And he's led that way really by his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but down the line, there's going to come a change. There's going to be something different that happens to 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 Jacob that really helps him understand truly who God is. Mm-hmm. And I think you just see a very different person at the, at the end of that.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting just how God interacts with, uh, the individuals in all of this as well, you know, cause this, this is kind of theme and application, but I think more, more theme, uh, kind of like with, with Abraham, um, and some other things we've talked about, you know, just again with verse 21 isaac pleading with the lord and that promise of verse 23 and just the 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 events here it's like when someone just barely aligns themselves with god's ambition and i think this is kind of like salvation by faith not by works you know when when they just barely align themselves how much god does and how much impact god's work has and how how substantial his use of the littleness that these people do how substantial his use of these things are is is nearly impossible to actually fathom you know like isaac all he does is he prays for his wife and the lord grants his plea and here comes jacob who becomes still today uh israel the spiritual name of god's people uh just incredible. And just because Isaac pleaded with his wife. Now, God was looking to do that, right? But that's, that's the point that when we align ourselves with things that God is ambitiously striving for, uh, how much God invests in that and how much resource he gives for that cause and, and how much work and sacrifice he, he undertakes himself to, to fulfill that is incredible. You know, and I love how God chooses to interact for the fulfillment of those things.
0: It's the concept that when you pray for something that you know that God wants, the answer will always be yes.
1: Oh, right. Exactly. You know, and and this should just give so much confidence in those things. But but again, just on on the theme, you know, we've seen that with Abraham already so much. And that's just something we're going to see more and more of as we go on is, you know, God interacting with individuals in just astounding ways, which he still does today uh, in, in, in the grandest and greatest of ways. Uh, through the simplicity of the church and in quietness, in committing committing oneself to good deeds done in righteousness, God continues to do grandiose things that are hard to perceive. Um, simply because those those works that God accomplishes um, really are noticeable only to the humble, uh, and just like just like Isaac himself, humbling himself here. Um, I might be making way too much out of this, but. You know, just kind of interesting that it says in the New King James that Jacob was a mild man. Uh You know, he's a peaceful man dwelling in tents. And really, it's interesting that in contrast to being a skillful hunter, I mean, uh, Jacob being the father of uh, God's true nation, you know, that saints are supposed to be just quiet and peaceable. And actually, uh this just crossed my mind, but in Revelation... um, Let me get there really quick because I just kind of thought of this off the cuff. This, again, you know, this may be making too much of something, but in verse, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 9, talks about the nations of the world being gathered together, Gog and Magog, to surround. Uh, God's people, and it says they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Um, and I know it says beloved city, but the camp of the saints seems to infer just a a camp of people kind of dwelling in tents, with only God being their protection. You know, they don't have a fortress, they don't have a wall, they don't have weaponry or uh, you know any kind of defense. Um, and I just think it's it's interesting that. Jacob dwelt in tents and that's, that's kind of the image that you get of, of God's people continuously is, is a very mild and peaceful people, uh, who are, um, very gentle and defenseless, but whom God by his faithfulness protects.
0: It's the, it's the children of Israel, right? Yep. Um, and, and what's interesting there too, is that there was so much importance in the old covenant, as to who was allowed inside the camp versus who needed to go outside of the camp, and right. uh, that dividing line was very important. And and a, you know, regardless of, again, we don't want to moralize. So uh, we don't want uh, What I mean by moralize is we don't want to try to take what we have and push it on these people that did not live under the similar circumstance, right? Right, but we can appreciate that these brothers are different to be able to show. You know, again, what are what is division? What is separation supposed to show? Well, um, Paul says that division uh, can, you know, ultimately shows who's faithful to God. Um, and, and and you know, so those who are are right will be made manifest. He talks about divisions in First Corinthians and division is not always a good thing but we can appreciate those things that 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 separate those who want to do the right thing and those who don't and i think even though we're going to see some nastiness we're going to see some bad things that jacob's going to do Uh, again we go back to why did esau make this choice there was some root of bitterness in him where he didn't appreciate what he had as much as he should And so he gave it up for a bowl of stew. Bowl of lentils, you might say. now we want to go into our final section and of course we can read these things we can study we can pick all these things apart but uh, if we do not apply these things to ourselves then uh, we lose the power of the scriptures and we we miss something very very serious and so just as we think about this uh, overall um, I, I do think the kind of going in the flow of the chapter this time maybe uh, you know Abraham he knows who the son of promise is there's no question in his mind and so when he has these other children he makes sure that he makes provisions that there's not going to be this problem after he's gone I think that's a great lesson for us to understand mm. Mm. Um, you know so many families I think get into particular trouble, you know, and, and what is that trouble typically surrounded over? It's surrounded over money. Um, the, the grandparents or the parents die and sometimes families will fight about how do we divvy this up? Um, just that, the, that whole basic idea, that thought that, that we're going to fight over this stuff. And, uh, that's a general thing, but I think we can take from this that, that being prepared in this way, having that foresight, and of course the greater foresight that Abraham had, that he, he this is a man who's, who died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. I'm not sure that that would have been the case if he had decided not to follow God. If all the way back uh, when he was in the Ur of the Chaldees, among really uh, false religions and idolatry uh, among his family, Uh, I think if he had declined to follow God at this time, I don't think he would have died uh, 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 in this way, right? Gathered to his people. Again, I I really think that we're talking about being gathered to the faithful. So am I going to be gathered to faithful saints when I die? Am I going to be gathered to God's people? Or am I going to be going somewhere else? very important question for us to think about.
1: So, for one, I think uh, verse 21 again, where Isaac prayed to the Lord. I think this is something we've talked about before, but I think every opportunity that we have to talk about this is good for me and I'm sure is good for anyone who's listening as well. Um, Just the fact that God listened to Isaac's plea and prayer and granted it and how much came from that and just how much encouragement I need to constantly see how eager God is to hear the prayers of his people. Um And I think there's purpose in that as well uh, because, you know, God wants to establish in us a willful seeking and reliance on him that elicits gratitude and joy, especially in the acknowledgement that every good gift is really actually from him and that he makes the choice to give those things. Um you know, because God could have given, he could have given Isaac children without him asking. You know, I think the inference seems to be that they probably had tried to have children before and they had to discover that she was unable to have children through trying and failing. Right. Uh, so if God could have, why didn't he? And I think it's because of desiring to establish that relationship that cultivates faith. And I think you see that a lot in the Psalms. Um, but just the, the, the note though, just that prayer is something that, uh, I need encouragement to continue to strive to be more diligent in prayer, more fervent in prayer, and to understand just how zealous God is to listen and to act on the prayers of the things that are clearly in accordance with His will. And so just to have more confidence in prayer, more, uh, more zeal to be more fervent for the things that uh, God outlines that He's He's seeking for us to seek ourselves through Him.
0: Of course, James in James chapter four talks about uh, you know you fight, you, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight in war yet you do not have because you do not ask. Right? You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Uh, so the idea of asking God in the right way with the right mindset um yeah that's a great lesson for us um how often have we faced an issue in our lives and we don't approach god about it um or or you know we just don't think about it maybe it's an ignorant thing or maybe we're consciously thinking well you know god's not going to help me out with that well we need to be reading our bibles and understand that yes he does want to help us out with those things and right. uh, us, us telling him about our troubles, that's not burdening him. He, he can shoulder the burden. He can take care of it. Uh, and our lives would be so much better, uh, I think, if we, if we learned that very, very important thing.
1: Right. You know, and there's a lot of psalms where the psalmists feel as if there's a barrenness in relation to God's promises in their time. Uh, so not with like, you know, children, physical children, but with what they know God is seeking to do and what is not happening or what has happened. For instance, Psalm 89 is an example. And I won't read but a couple of verses of the beginning of the psalm, but the psalm ends with the psalmist actually acknowledging that it seems like he's living in the time when Jerusalem has been destroyed. You know, and Jerusalem was the place of God's promise it was the place where his name was to dwell forever and promises were made to david that the psalmist is talking about specifically and he acknowledges at the end of the psalm that god has cast off and abhorred and been furious with his anointed he's renounced his covenant profaned his crown broken its hedges and destroyed it and his throne's been cast down and he asks in verse 46 how long lord will you hide yourself forever will your wrath burn like fire and it seems like that question is not asked in an absence of faith, but actually a heart full of faith. And I say it especially because of verse 1 and 2, where he says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness, uh, your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. And so he starts the psalm with the assurance that Once he gets to the hopeless appearance, he understands already how amazing it is that he knows that God, by his mercy, will build the city back up that he's promised. He will fulfill his promises. Now, that does not take away the present barrenness and the distress of it. But what the psalmist chooses to do is to trust in who God is and draw closer to God in that barrenness. And so that's just one example of the Psalms of, of that principle taken to a fuller place later in the scripture.
0: And that's really the key, isn't it? I mean, we have so many examples of people seeking out God and asking him why. Right. Why is this the situation? Um. And, and, and actually bringing up the charge, this is not just, this is not right. Um. But of course... The, the the key is, you know, don't reject him. Uh, listen to him. Let him uh, show you what the right way is. And what that will do is it'll help you. Because right. it'll help you understand and see, well, you know, I thought I really understood this. I thought that there was nothing but darkness. I thought there was nothing but bad here. But you, O Lord, have, you know, you the Lord will show us that there's always this silver lining. There's always this good, uh, aspect to what we've been given. And, or he may show us, he may help us see through his scriptures a way to improve the situation in good, in good ways. Right. So, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of good things for us to, to consider there. I think too, uh, when the Lord tells us, uh, basically what's, uh, what's going on we need to trust him in those things Mm -hmm. and uh and the fact really is that you know overall i think one of the biggest lessons of this chapter is don't sell your birthright period you know what what if what if jacob actually had something of worth value uh to esau other than food um it still wouldn't have been worth what he gave up and uh I think there are so many today, you know, going back, I mentioned that we would read uh, the bigger passage, Hebrews twelve fourteen through 17. And I really like the way uh, it's rendered in the King James, yeah. the old King James. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. I think part of what that's talking about in terms of Esau seeking repentance and finding a place for repentance i don't think that's necessarily talking about uh repentance in terms of his own salvation personally i think it's speaking more toward the fact that you know he would have loved for things to be back to the way it was and uh we're going to see uh in in a, a chapter or two the fact that he's expecting to still get that blessing <laughs> somehow maybe in his mind he thought that what that moment with jacob must not have mattered because he's still expecting to get the blessing from his father isaac mm-hmm. but he doesn't and the reason ultimately is is because he he gave up on that he he you might say uh you know he abdicated <laughs> he kind of said no that's not something that i want um by his actions and so uh this is something that's very very needed for us to understand that bitterness uh, is something that's very much tied to someone who, for example, if I'm a Christian, I've been given these great promises. I'm part of this inheritance. This is what we've been talking about this whole time in terms of Abraham, that if I'm a Christian, I have this same inheritance. I have these same promises, that we're part of this whole same thing. What happens if I give that up? If I give that up, it's just like Esau. There's no other possibility. There's no other sacrifice. There's no other path than what God has laid before me. And so if I give that up, I've given up everything.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because the context of Hebrews really speaks to that point of how glorious our, our inheritance is. For instance, Hebrews 2.3 says that our salvation is so great— uh, and then he continues on in that same chapter talking about how we have become, who are Christians, brethren of Christ and inheritors of the same promise that he himself inherited. Um, you know, to think about, again, if we can look at this example and see that Esau did something just ridiculous, uh, you know, how, like like you, you mentioned this at the beginning um, already, but how ridiculous it is when we, uh, and, and really to be more personal, when I, Not only because I think an application for me is not just the idea of forfeiting the promise, but also not actively valuing the promise. I think that's something I really struggle with as well, because it seems like Esau was basically just ready to give it away. Like, for instance, it looks like Jacob was doing he was looking for an opportunity to take it because he valued it. And Esau, because he didn't value it, was looking for a reason to give it away. Um, because kind of like what we were talking about earlier, you think about everything that Esau absolutely heard that ought to have made him value that birthright so highly that he would protect it and covet it and never let it go for any reason, right? But you could also think about the burden that he could feel like it placed on him, like, oh, great. You know, I've got to live up to this grand expectation, you know, and I didn't ask to be a part of this huge plan that apparently the God of the universe is working out and here I am in the midst of all of this, you know, and you could imagine almost feeling um, frustrated or angry that he's got some obligation to this thing that he didn't even put himself into, but he was born into, you know? Um, you know, and so we just, as as Christians, we really need to constantly saturate our minds with the understanding of what scripture speaks to that what we've attained and how we've attained it and what god has sacrificed for us to obtain it um you know it it should be our attitude not just to never give up on our faith to never forsake our faith to never give up the inheritance that god has given us but to more actively engage ourselves in it more and more and constantly looking more intently at just how valuable it is and that really is, really, it's the overall exhortation of the Hebrew letter. Uh, you know, he's making that, that point in Hebrews 12 in the context of trying to motivate the Hebrews who are close to the point of just giving up to understand what they've received and what that ought to elicit as a response, uh, from them in relation to what they've received. Um, so I think it's very, it's very relevant and applicable, um, to us in so many incredible ways. Uh, I guess, what 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 are some more thoughts you have on that, Stephen? I'd love to listen to more about what you have to say on that.
0: Well, I mean, the only thing I was, I've been thinking a lot about, uh, you know, what, what Peter said to Jesus in John 6, you know. Uh, Jesus says something that's very challenging. Mm-hmm. And you have all these disciples leave, and Jesus turns, you know, you're going to leave too. And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, I am blessed to work with a local congregation of saints who I believe, um, based on everything I know of them and my closeness to them, uh, they have invested themselves in this local work to such a point where, uh, they have, uh, removed any other possibilities, Um, and i don't mean that by saying they've uh burned bridges and you know things like that i don't think that's the case at all um but i do think that this is a situation where these are brethren who have invested themselves in the work to the point that you know there's no other question about where they're going to be on sunday morning there's no question about where they're going to be wednesday evening and it's such a wonderful uh thing to be among saints like that um and, and it and it helps me to realize that I need to make sure in my life not just to hold on to the path but to make sure to tear down any other alternatives um to center myself on this uh Esau had a possibility i mean he he had this other path that he went on, and he why why was that there because he gave that path to himself. Uh, he provided that path to himself, that, that idea that, okay, yes, I'm going to sell my birthright for this stew. And no matter what he might have thought about that at the time, whether he thought that was important or whether he thought that was just minor, uh, the Lord saw it as important, and the Lord recorded it for us all to see. And uh, that that's one of the things that that I've just certainly been thinking of recently, this idea that you, you need to conscientiously Make it a point to say, it's not just that I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. I'm going to make it so that I'm not faithful to anything else or anyone else.
1: Yeah, I think gratitude is such a big part of that. You know, like I think Esau was not focused on the grace of God's promises. You know, he he may have been aware of the responsibility. So you know, being in a certain place, uh, being a certain way, uh, following certain ways of living. Um, but he certainly with the attitude that he had, you know, it's, it's very apparent. And the Hebrew writer points this out as well that his, his, his view of grace, he just, he didn't have any perception of the greater grace involved in the things that God had promised. But Jacob clearly did, which I think is why he was so adamant on getting that, getting that inheritance somehow. And he sees the opportunity. And it's kind of interesting on that note in terms of application. Check this out. Go to Hebrews 12 verse 28. I think it's very interesting how the Hebrew writer himself makes these same points at the concluding part of the letter, because the Hebrews were in danger of not valuing or perceiving the grace of what they had received themselves. But look at verse 28 of 12. He says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Wow. How can it be that simple? By which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, go to chapter 13, and I think this is very interesting. In verse uh, 13 through 15, it says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 14. So after it talks about uh, bearing the reproach of Christ and following him and sacrificing ourselves for, for his sake. In verse 14, it says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to god that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name it is wow it's really you know that's that that's a part of this grand task that god has assigned to us is just be thankful and see the grace that we've received and there's other applications in hebrews 12 and 13 but but really i do think that gratitude and thankfulness really puts our perspective in such a humble place and protects our heart against bitterness uh, because bitterness just sets the focus on such small and insignificant things and completely blinds the perspective from seeing the grandiose aspects of God's glory in ways that could completely change my perspective out of a perspective that is narrow and bitter um, so this this warning I think is is needful um it's it's startling you know just how much esau gave up and and for how little
0: yes bitterness i would say is the poison that kills christians uh by and large right yeah amen Um, because you know we can talk about being unfaithful We can talk about leaving the church and things like that yeah but that's indicative of a bigger problem if someone lashes out at you there's a reason they're lashing out at you if someone stops being involved with a local congregation, there's a reason for that. That doesn't just happen out of the blue. Um, you know, Christians, when you see somebody not at services and you come to understand that they weren't sick, that it you know, wasn't some kind of other issue, they weren't traveling, they chose not to be there. What that should do for us is kick us into almost alert status to know that by that point there's already a problem and maybe there's been a problem but we haven't really seen it and so we need to reach out but unfortunately a lot of times when someone is bitter they will even resist uh, someone uh, openly and and honestly trying to to help them Um, but at any rate uh, I think one of the interesting things here, too, is the the greater lesson of Esau that we're talking about in terms of bitterness is there, but you know we're gonna see an Esau uh not too long from now um after all these things happen between him and Jacob that is not uh you know Jacob is very scared about facing Esau, but Esau comes back and they're very uh you know very loving toward each other, I would say uh.
1: Oh, yes. Right. No, that's such a good point to bring up because Esau could not get his birthright back, period. And Esau would not be the nation that God would work through to bring the Messiah. But Esau, the individual, could repent. And it seems that he did. So I'm really happy you brought that up.
0: And that's that's a pretty good way for us to uh, kind of end up right now. Um, because we're, we're going to see some yeah. other things in terms of Jacob and Esau, but... Uh... But we'll hold that on for next time. Brian, did you, did you have anything else before we finish? Nope, just as as usual.
1: It's just such an encouraging study.
0: Well, uh, the, the feeling is absolutely mutual. So uh, thank you so much for listening today. We hope this podcast is useful for you. Uh, if you would, just contact us at any time. And uh, uh, happy to talk to you about the show. Uh, if you have any ideas about, you know, maybe there's a topic you would like for us to cover. Uh, We can definitely do that. Just because we're going through the book doesn't mean that we can't stop and look at a particular subject. Uh, Or if you have uh, any questions that you would like answered, we'd be happy to take a look at that as well. Uh, Email us at at walkingthroughthebook@protonmail.com or message us on Facebook. Um, Next time, Lord willing, we will be dealing with Genesis chapter 26. Until that time, study well. Be lights to God's glory.